Hi folks, welcome to Political Bites, our new podcast series from the School of Politics and International Relations at the University of Kent. I'm Ian McKenzie, I teach politics in the school. We started this series to give you a little insight into the research areas of my academic colleagues by asking them to respond to topical issues of the day. To kick off the series, we're going to hear from Professor Matthew Goodwin. Matt's main area of research is British politics. You may have seen him on BBC and Sky News in the last few years, commenting on Brexit. Today, Matt is going to give us a quick insight into the politics of pandemics. So over to you, Matt. Hello and welcome to the politics of pandemics. My name is Professor Matthew Goodwin. I'm a professor in the School of Politics and International Relations at the University of Kent, uh, where I have been since 2015. And I teach a first year module, um, PO304, on analysing British politics. And I teach a third year module, PO676, Populism in Western Democracies. And um, one of the interesting things about where we are today is that both of those topics, British politics and populism in Western democracies, really are finding their way into this global debate about coronavirus and how pandemics might impact upon geopolitics. And just over the course of 10 minutes, I wanted to set out a few thoughts. The historian A.J.P. Taylor once said that politicians do not create the current of events, they can only float along with them and try to steer. But A.J.P. Taylor was really talking about the contours of European history, which were quite gradual. He wasn't really talking about um, uh, something sudden like a global pandemic. And as we can see, coronavirus has put much of the world into lockdown. It's pushed the global economy into freefall. It has killed thousands of people and it is going to have untold uh, economic um, and health effects. But how will it impact on politics? And I think the short, honest answer is that we really don't know. But that should not stop us from asking some questions that we probably know are going to be quite salient. So here are a few. Uh, Will the coronavirus crisis deliver another body blow, potentially a fatal one, to globalisation and the liberal world order, which has been, you could argue, in retreat for about a decade? Or will it actually provide liberalism with a new uh, argument, reviving public support for individual freedom and supporting the argument that amid these large-scale global challenges like pandemics and also climate change, the only possible future is a multilateral one where we work together. Will the crisis and its fallout, which we can already see is hitting low-income left-behind workers the hardest, people on low incomes with little job security, will it exacerbate the global populist backlash against incompetent and Uh, uh, some might say selfish elites, for example, in the US, where we've had stories of senators selling stock uh, and selling assets with inside information? Or will it instead signal the arrival of a a new external enemy, uh, representing perhaps the first serious global threat since the end of the Cold War? And will that, in turn, focus our minds on the need to build cross-class solidarity? Will coronavirus sharpen the divides between what you might call the wealthy winners of globalisation and blue-collar workers who have felt uh, shut out from the benefits of that globalisation? 
Economically, will the big bailouts and the fiscal injections pave the way for a return of big government, a big state, uh, more economic interventionism, perhaps even leading to the rise of what might become known as the post-COVID consensus, where there's more space for the state and less room for the free market uh, capitalist economics that we've become used to? Will the expected shrinking of the American economy by 24% in the second quarter of 2020, which is two and a half times the largest drop that was recorded in 1958, as well as the return of unemployment rates that we've not seen since the Great Recession, completely demolish Donald Trump's re-election hopes? Or instead, will the talk of a Chinese virus and the need to close national borders remind us that, at its core, politics is often less about the big appeals to humanitarianism and actually more about the attribution of blame? Will the crisis which has so far enhanced nation-states at the expense of supranational institutions embolden, further embolden economic nationalists at the expense of liberal free traders, something that we've seen, I think in particular since 2016, but perhaps now may reach new heights, as various politicians argue that we need to now be more nationalist in how we organise and run our economies? Or instead, will actually the crisis give way to new and imaginative responses to how we can fix an already weakened global architecture? Will it lead big major powers to cooperate in a much more serious way when it comes not only to things like supply-side chains, but also to things like science, research and development? Will the sudden appearance of a common external threat finally end the escalating political polarisation in the United States? Even now, looking at the polling around the coronavirus crisis, we can see that Democrats and Republicans see it very, very differently. But perhaps will the continuation of this threat push that polarisation to one side and lead America into a more unified, coherent place? Will another crisis in the Eurozone, which is forecast to shrink between 10 and 15% until June, prove to be the final straw as exasperated voters, particularly in the South, start to question the benefits of monetary union? And we've seen over the last few weeks the rise of very visible tensions between northern states and southern states over how they're going to manage the economic fallout, and in particular the accumulation and the distribution of debt. Or will these north-south divides actually make way for a more serious push to deliver the pro-integration economic and political reforms and the genuine solidarity that the European Union and the Eurozone desperately need if they're to navigate the succession of crises? In terms of voters, will the crisis accelerate a loss of public trust in experts and media, which has been one of the touchstones of our populist age? Or instead, will it restore public confidence in experts as politicians are forced to defer to their medical and scientific expertise? In the United Kingdom, we've seen more people look to our scientific advisers and politicians. Perhaps we're about to see the return of the expert. And will the crisis exacerbate the already visible intergenerational tensions between what you might call the boomers and the zoomers? The baby boomers who grew up in a very different era and Generation Z, which has already had a very different and very difficult time. Remarkably, uh, Generation Z and indeed our future students 
have already uh, lived through two major financial crises and a global pandemic, which is quite some going, uh, given that um, they're still uh, very, very young. Um, And will these disputes over partying spring breakers in the United States, who have been um, apparently not respecting uh, social distancing rules on the one side, and and baby boomers who are uh, 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 self-isolating and and, and, uh, uh, encouraging others to... to, uh, have a negative impact of sorts on the economy, will all of this actually um, question once again a social settlement that has lost uh, any sense of moral obligation to fellow citizens, or will it actually lead us to um, greater harmony between uh, different generations? And I think that's really touching on a on a much deeper question, which is, will social distancing and the crisis encourage are increasingly individualistic Western societies to hunker down even more, pushing them further into atomization and reviving fears about what social scientists call a collapse of social capital? Or instead, do the millions of new WhatsApp groups for neighbours and communities, the outpouring of volunteering, the hundreds of thousands of people who are now helping the National Health Service as registered volunteers, does all of that signal a much-needed revival of communitarianism? a much-needed revival of the civic culture, and a reminder that actually still millions of citizens around the world do take things like citizenship and moral obligation and interpersonal trust very seriously. And the the honest answer is we're not going to have the big answers to those big questions for many years, perhaps decades to come. But if we look at the last crisis, the post-2008 Great Recession, And we can see that it's only now that we're beginning to navigate and understand the effects of that earlier crisis. And one of the things that we talk about, certainly in my modules, and particularly in the third year, is that we look back and we we scan the landscape and we look at how, in particular, the European Union and the Eurozone, as well as the United States, have actually gone through one of the most problematic and politically turbulent decades that we've had for a very long time. And now I think as we go forward with those modules this coming year and the year after, we'll be asking ourselves, where does the coronavirus crisis sit within that broader debate? And when are we going to get the answers to these questions? And as social scientists, how can we help provide the answers to those questions? Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. That's it for our first episode. We'll be back soon with more. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss, then please contact us via our email paulirnews at kent.ac.uk or connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, the details of which are in the description box. Thanks for listening. Until next time.